0: your success on that stage is not just your success it is also their success because if you go up and make um a bunch of funny jokes about being an arrogant trans person it not only affirms a trans person in the audience it tells that trans person your life is as important and funny enough to be on stage
1: that's salem barrett brown my guest today on what i don't talk about at barbecues So here's what happens. I set up an interview with someone, we make time to meet and chat and, and I record the conversation and that's the podcast. There's a bit of post work to do to cut it all together and package it and the kind of the very last thing I do is this, I record my own intro because I like to kind of look back on all the whole journey of, this, of my time with this guest and the themes that came out of the conversation we have and I try and put together this all-encompassing intro and the amount of times I do it, the amount of times I stop, start, go again, get halfway through it, and then just don't say the thing that I really wanted to say. And I'm like, ah, really annoying. And even this, I scripted a whole load of notes. I had so many notes that I was just going to sit there and even just reading it, it's just dead. It's just words on the page. So I don't want to say too much. I just want to get right to the conversation this week. It's with Sydney based comedian, activist, artist, performer. Salem Barrett Brown. I'm not going to say anything more because Salem has so much to say that we cover in the pod. They bring a really wild energy, which is really fun. I really enjoyed the conversation and I think you will too. So sit back, relax, chill or not. Get out, be active, be busy, be happy and listen to the pod. Salem, it's great to have you on the pod. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. You've Thanks for having me. Like going on in the background there, you've got, you've got you're, you're wherever you are in the world, it obviously faces the afternoon sun. It's my childhood bedroom. I feel like there's so much we can talk about today, but the first thing I wanted to ask you was around identity. When I, when I look at the, your work, and I don't even want to say your comedy, because I think your work goes so far beyond comedy to all different types of performance. How do you deal with identity in your work?
0: Um, well, it's my favorite thing to deal with, but I actually have a joke about it, um, and it's it, I wrote it uh, right after Scott Morrison was elected, and uh, I was talking about the fact that I used to actually want to be a politician, and then uh, which is true, I was in Young Labour for a while, but then I realised that a couple things of, uh, elements of my identities might not really gel with the politician's life. It was just a couple tiny little niggling things. It's just that I'm a polyamorous, pansexual, transgender, non-binary, feminist, atheist, socialist, maybe anarchist, still figuring out which BDSM switch, mentally ill, chronically suicidal hoe, who smokes a fair bit of weed. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of that content is online, um, because I put it there. (laughs) The likes. Um, but that all makes me less selectable than a man from Hillsong. But I have a lot of marginalized identities. I have a lot of privilege as well, but I have a few marginalized ones and I have I like to collect them all. It's very fun. Um, and then, uh, and it's kind of similar in performing. I kind of dip my toes into a bunch of different kinds of performance. Like I've done uh, drag kinging work. I've done performance art, poetry. I'm writing a play with a friend at the moment. Uh, But I primarily am a stand-up comedian, and I also have developed these weird kind of burlesque comedy chair and lap pieces, which I'm a bit obsessed with. So a bit uh, all over the place with uh, who I am and
1: what I like to do. Wow. I I normally ask my guests to introduce themselves like they're singing in the shower, but you've just... I I think had we have been doing this back in December, you would have broken water restrictions. You would have been like... Oh, uh,
0: thank you. I love to talk about myself.
1: <laughs> well, I guess just e- even in hearing that intro, there's so much to, so much to go through. I guess what, what I'm, where I'd like to start maybe is a lot of, a lot of your work where, you, where you're talking about identity, you're invoking different characters and different aspects of, of your character, yourself and your identity to talk about, I, I guess, different challenges and, and issues in, in, our, in our community. And I guess you've, you've been on the, I guess, the forefront of your community for, for a few years now doing this. But what I'm mindful of is as a whole, as, a, as, as an entire community, we're going through a massive, massive change right now. Do you think there's any alignment or any opportunity or, or, or change that will come from the community that you're a part of and you're really passionate about to how that might change and, and, and weave in with the greater community given what we're all experiencing right now?
0: yeah absolutely um, as a like a very s- subpar activist within the community I get to see other people do a lot better work than um, I am uh, that I do but I'm part of a group called Trans TransAction um, which is uh, based in this city and it's all trans and we um, have had a lot of discussions about uh, coronavirus and how it's impacting us at the moment and obviously, every time there's something that affects a lot of people, it's going to affect marginalized people worse. And that goes without saying. Um, things like housing is very important right now. But um, I actually, personally, as like a the kind of anarcho-communist vibe I like to think of myself as, uh, I'm kind of excited for this time as well, because this period uh, it reveals the failings of capitalism in a very clear way and it really undermines our global capitalist system and things that um, were would have been incredibly radical concepts even two years ago, things like rent strikes um, and moratoriums and evictions and they're talking about mass release of nonviolent prisons in um, the US and even in Australia uh and homeless people seizing homes all of these things are wildly radical um i think they are, should be the standard of course but they are the fact that they're happening now and they're being talked about in a, uh like people are like yeah this could actually happen and we're, we're backing this is really exciting but at the same time you have the increased police state um and a lot of weird acceptance of that of the police state and people really thinking that it's totally okay for police to be patrolling people right now for them to have the uh, discretion as to whether someone's committing a crime, which is never a good idea to give that to police. So this is a really confusing time for trans, like leftist people, but also I think it's exciting. Like, like Kind of business as usual is really difficult for our community. So when things are disrupted, it can be worse, but it can also be a time to maybe make some change. Mm.
1: Because I, I hear a lot in my day-to-day people talking about, and the common phrase is, when, when things get back to normal or the new normal, I guess in your community and yourself, you've been fighting to, you know, upset the normal. Yeah. And here it is, we're upsetting the normal. You talk about the police state, and we're recording uh, Monday the 11th of May in the afternoon, and I think yesterday there was quite a number of, pro- oh, there was a significant protest in Melbourne around yeah. people protesting, You know this notion of police state and and what the government and the police are asking us to do um have you followed that at all
0: um i only briefly heard about that i thought they were protesting yeah lockdown situations Mm. and i actually heard them being criticized for like being kind of not compliant but that makes a lot of sense because i know that victoria all the police in this country are fucked but victoria police uh, some have a a level of like regulation and rigidity that they get away with. Um, it's really, really like the police have a lot of influence in, um, Melbourne particularly. And, uh, I haven't been following it, but it's totally, it's really exciting. Like I, my hope is that middle-class people that wouldn't normally have, um, upsetting interactions with the police. So would therefore potentially still be believing, Oh, there are protectors. There are heroes might be having some of those interactions and realizing that cops are not there to protect us, that they are absolutely there to protect um, public property and the interest of the state. Mm.
1: How does your, how does your activism inform your art? Is there a direct between the two or, you know, do you have to, I'm I'm an activist now or now I'm going to be an artist. How, How do the, how do you, how do the two, two roles live within you?
0: Well, my cheat is that I'm not, uh, I haven't been built for really hardcore activism for the last <laughs> few years. Like I've seen many of my friends do. Um, I haven't done like that many direct actions or things like this. Um, like rallies can really stress me out, but when I get up on stage and I get to make fun of Scott Morrison, that is a form of activism. Um, mm. perhaps not as dangerous as uh, my friends who like climbed the Harbor bridge, uh, no, sorry, the opera house, um, were dealing with, but, um, It is—it's a form of activism in the sense that, like, for some people that I'm, that are in my audience, I'm educating them. But a lot of my audiences are queer, so when I perform at my own comedy night that I run, which is comedy at the cage at the bank, um, and I and I send up homophobia and transphobia, um, and I like mock cops and I mock um, the Liberal Party. That uh, it, it might not be the kind of activism that's like changing laws, but it's a kind of activism that, like, makes queer people feel okay for a bit and have a bit of a rest and be able to laugh about our problems and, like, even laugh at ourselves. And for me, like, one of the most, like, uh, important forms of art for me is, like, transgender memes and transgender shitposting, because it's the only time that I really get to see, like, trans people taking the piss out about everything about themselves and rather than being like I'm a brave story in like a magazine or like I'm this sad figure and it's just like where we can be like oh my gender is bees and like that's so delightful Ooh. um so that's I think yeah and like basically everything I do art about is is activist is like related to my my views and my identity the play that I'm writing right now is about um, a communist group killing a banker and seeing what that would actually do and uh like how yeah and it's set in the future um i've done like i had a sketch where i killed scott morrison on a stage that was so fucking satisfying um and i it started i started in queer review at UCID review which of there's all these faculty reviews but the identity reviews in my experience um were far sharper in terms of politics and particularly the queer reviews that i was involved in if i can like, be up my own ass, uh, it got really political, and it wasn't just about, like, let's have some gay students on stage doing a nude sketch, it got about, like, let's really talk about the issues in our community, um, and for it to be, I think, for, what I'm trying to say is that, um, when you have, like, politics in art like this, it's amazing for catharsis, um, it can be really, I've had people come up to me and be like, that was really healing, what I just, like, heard from you, because, uh, I don't get to laugh about things, um, and like my identity is this way. When I did uh, a stand-up set to an all-trans rally, which was like one of my favorite sets I ever did, and I got up and I the first thing I said was like, oh it's so exciting to be able to do it to all trans people. I can smell the manic panic hair dye from here," <laughs> and everyone laughed because it's stupid because we all fucking dye our hair. So, and I had someone come up to me after that and be like, "That was so good that we could take the piss out of ourselves, and it was really affirming."
1: Mm-hmm. you've you've mentioned scott morrison a few times and you all <laughs> i hate him that you're you were a member of uh young labor yeah how does what's what's something and i know you you know a couple of years back you were on the the project with Walid ali and you were involved in i think it was the pride to protest
0: yeah pride in protest
1: and you know, in in trying to bring about change and trying to bring about real clarity around who should be involved in certain movements. To to think of today, what's something a government could do right now to better, to show more respect or be more welcoming to community?
0: There are just so many things. Um, I think my first concern would be not about I mean, there are a number of transphobic laws still in place, like actively transphobic laws. There's still Mm. a trans panic defense in Queensland, where if you realize, it's usually trans women, so if you realize a woman is trans uh, when you're going to have sex with her, you can kill her, and that's a defense. Like, that's still in law, and that's from the gay panic defense. And there's, like... Yeah. And like, I have to, I can't get my gender change on my birth certificate unless I have a surgery. And there's like, no, it's, there's all this bullshit. Like there's still inherently transphobic laws right now. Um, and, but my concern would be more like with things like refugees, like, and, uh, like the larger system, um, like uh, disadvantage, like making it very difficult to live if you're marginalized. um, and it goes all the way from like safe schools, which is like an anti-bullying program that they gutted, to like, um, yeah, like refugees, uh, like the TV sister, the the sister girls of Tiwi Island, who are like indigenous um, uh, transgender people, um, and I, like, I wouldn't be interested in a trans rights movement that was purely about making it easier to be like a white middle class trans person, and like something equivalent to marriage equality where it's like it's very lovely that we've had this this achievement right now that i'm less interested in folding into the normative society that we have than i am in disrupting the society that we have because the fundamental things underpinning it are about the haves and the have-nots and it's like Mm. i've and when i mardi gras like when i was involved in this mardi gras campaign i came up against gay people who literally did not care and and thought it was justified that like Qantas, who was a who is a sponsor of Mardi Gras, is helping deport refugees. So if the government wanted to do anything, I mean, the first thing would be to not deport, like, trans, not lock up and deport trans refugees. That would be the first thing. Or not have, like, a 20-page form for proving that you're gay um, on very specific bureaucratic terms so that you can get gay asylum. Um, making it easier to be Indigenous in any sense of the word, even cis-Indigenous people. That is you can't I don't want to like single out trans, you know what I mean? yeah, I feel like it's all part of the same system. oh also prison abolition would be really good. I have some opinions I don't know <laughs> if you know about the government just like a couple though. it's like cute
1: I mean it's have have you seen any in the last few years um have you have you seen any significant change in how the wider community around you has learn to either accept or get along with or you know even try and reach out to the community you're part of
0: yeah totally i i have to absolutely admit that i think i mean i've kind of secluded myself to a pretty uh small inner west uh bubble um so that helps but um my biggest notice is that i think there are just more trans people Mm. i like I it's astonishing how many young trans people I've now come into contact with and I don't really have that much contact with like children in general because I just don't have any children in my family but like my father is a therapist and he's counseling three young trans boys like 13 years old and one of them like like they were asking for like he or they pronouns at 12 and that's not an experience that I had I had a neighbor that's 15 called Cam who I ran into in the they were just started talking and then they were non-binary and i was like hey, how old are you They're like i'm 15. i'm like that's incredible and the person one time i was getting my electricity bill changed and i needed to change my title and i was like do you have the gender neutral title and then the woman was like oh are you gender neutral and i was like yeah i not really any gender and she was like oh so is my child and it's they've just come out and it's and i was like what i'm like talking to my person and it's like it's kind of funny because the whole thing of like trans is contagious is a bit true, because I believe that once you,
1: like, I don't believe that I would have been able to call myself
0: non-binary if I hadn't gone to a university in which I sat in a queer space with a bunch of other people who look like me, who call themselves non-binary. And I was like, okay, that means it's a possibility. So I think the rate of trans people is growing, which is super exciting. But yeah, in general, I think, I think society is more accepting, but Visibility, increased visibility is a double-edged sword. So we have people like Laverne Cox and unfortunately Caitlyn Jenner who've become famous. People know about them. There is more support for us, but there's also more outward hate. Like I've never seen as many transphobic jokes in stand-up as I have now. You go to Netflix and like one of the, I clicked on one and it was the first joke was a transphobic joke. Mm. Because it's like, it's a big topic now. So like everyone has their two cents. So it's kind of weird. I feel like it's better, but also worse.
1: It's it's probably that old thing. The more it comes out into the open, the more it has to be considered. And I, I, I know. Yeah. I, I guess I see from from my perspective where I sit in the world is I, I understand now how important language is and the fact that maybe five years ago we wouldn't. And and I'm new to the term non-binary. I've, it's maybe a year or two since I've become aware of it and. And and even in my, in in setting this up with you, how to how to use it appropriately, um, mm. you know it's it's part of a, an ongoing education, um, and it, it's language is important. Having words for this, but I think if you're, it must be really challenging that if you're stuck into the he she, hetero norm, you know if you're stuck into those mindsets that this is the way we are. All you know, just having on a, on a form where you put male, female, other.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> I love to that. Me I'm like, "Oh, there's another. That's okay, cool. We're we're starting to we're starting to." Yeah. But maybe from your side it's I imagine it might be well, what's other?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, isn't. maybe
0: I'm just maybe I'm just like uh not satisfied enough, hey, like cuz you're right, like there's been so much change and like even in my own family I came out, so I'm 25, I came out like 4 years ago and When I came out, it wasn't good. Uh, My family's pretty progressive, but they didn't get it. And my dad kind of tried, but, like, they still say ignorant things. But the difference between then and now is so huge. They all correct themselves. They all, you know, understand not just the the top level of language, because it's not just about, like, say, for example, you using they pronouns for me. It's also you viewing me as non-binary as well, Mm. and whatever comes with that. So I – uh. It's like it's definitely like in the fact that it's on forms is that isn't it's incredible, it's different. Um I think maybe I'm talking about like when you come from the underground into the mainstream, a lot of benefits. Yes, I can talk about being I could probably go to the, the workspace in the career that I want to do, which is like kind of NGO stuff, and I'll probably get respected as my gender. And that wouldn't have happened five years ago. For sure. Um I just is, yeah, I don't know. I, that's just I just think there's also negatives that come
1: with it what I'm interested in is more around, you know, you make that decision to tell those around you and how much of a burden do you feel is on you to have to have all the answers as to who you are and why you are that way. I mean, yeah. I, but I feel that it, it, it's, and, and the narrative I get in more mainstream media is whenever there's uh, someone who, who you know, whose, whose gender is different from what we consider normal there's a huge onus on them to explain and to be the to speak for everybody who's like that, which i i'm I'm mindful that I don't want to fall into that trap, but I'm interested to see how you felt and whether you came from a position where you're like i'm this is how i'm this is what I think I am did mm. you you had to kind of have all mm. the at once
0: yeah, I think there was an element of that, and there's there's two different ways really that people will ask questions and it's to try and slip you up and catch you out and humiliate you. So like what's in your pants? Oh, but you're wearing a dress. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, you just want attention, that kind of thing. And then there's genuinely curious, which can still be offensive. But for me, I, uh, gender studies was my major. I am, have always been interested in mental health and, like, social justice. I have no problems speaking, and I like the sound of my own voice. So people asking me questions and me wanting – like, I'm ha- very happy to be an educator, and I'm happy to, like, be a spokesperson for non-binary people as much as I can be from my, like, limited experience. I understand, you know, things like I'm white, I'm rich, or middle mm-hmm. class. But um the problem is, like, for when – you know i know so many (laughs) shy non-binary people they don't want to talk about it they don't have all the answers and also yeah we're really confused and this is another like uh joke i do i'm like uh, people say lots of things about trans people they're like you're confused and i'm like yeah i don't know what the fuck is going on in general in life how to put the oil in my car, but also my gender I don't know because it's real I recently had a gender breakdown and I've been I, I've known I was trans for like four years and like three weeks ago I just kind of had a breakdown because I was like I don't know how I relate to this particular label I've been using for ages and it's really cute I don't think there is particular there's not some individuals don't have answers for their own selves and every time I have a new trans friend come out to me, uh, some of the things I always say is like, it is okay to, to, to be confused about your gender identity and to never figure out your gender identity. There's a gender identity that's called gender questioning, which is awesome. It's okay to pick a name and then choose another name. It's okay to keep your birth pronouns or to try different pronouns. It's okay to try different pronouns if you're cisgender. And I've had three friends who came out as non-binary, were non-binary for a year and a half, and then were like, No, I'm not, I'm cisgender, and that is completely acceptable as well. A lot of trans people get really scared to take up space when they're coming out. Um, And I think that's just based on the presumption that all these other non-binary and trans people in the space already know what the fuck we're talking about, because we don't, we don't know what's going on, we're all confused little beings. Um, So it's totally okay, yeah, I think, and we should cherish that confusion rather than...
1: yeah
0: push people to have answers about themselves because they won't because if you if you know if anyone investigated a lot of cis people's genders you would get confused and tongue-tied as well because kind of everyone has a little bit of fluidity in them
1: i think you you used a key word there that just kind of put it in perspective for me and that was space um and as opposed to just having it you know having a label on a form and saying oh we're all accepted now it's actually probably more just can I have space to explore and 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 let me be yeah. who, I, who I might be and and again it talking to you now it's, it all becomes so clear that why should we know who we are exactly yeah. at this moment and always be that way? It's uh, yeah. Well, it's
0: like yeah. Just a quiet note is that like Western culture, like Australian Western culture, is so individualized and disconnected from community, mm. which is isolating and confusing and then on top of that they expect you to know who you are at all times it's like it's probably way easier to define i know who i am in relation to my queer community and that's a way easier understanding for me to figure out who i am rather than just like oh i salem and the only authority on who i salem am and i need to know everything about me it's like no my housemates know who i am my housemates make who i am as well Mm. we make it through community
1: Speaking of making through community through your own art and and, and the work you do in your own performance, you did at um, Sydney Fringe Comedy last year. You did Open Dyke Night, and that was that's it. Your that that was your performance piece. But it wasn't it wasn't if I say it wasn't just you on stage doing your own piece for for a show. There was many versions of you. Would it would that be? fair? Yeah. Can you talk yeah. through the very you know the, the the versions of you or the different parts of your characters and and how you work out how to who says what how they come into the show how they find their voice
0: awesome yeah um well uh it's a truly narcissistic feat i created a variety show out of myself um and i was uh so for a large chunk of the show i was my stand-up persona which is um a rather kind of arrogant stand-up persona um because i like to reveal how things are fucked not from a place of victimhood which is okay if you want to do that but I don't like being like they were mean to me I like being like how could they possibly be mean to me when I'm this awesome I think is generally the vibe of my stand-up so I was a host and that's me Salem and then I did four other pieces I did a sketch piece um, in which I was talking to a trash can which was my ex-boyfriend which kind of tapped into a bad place I was in for like two years Um, I did a drag King piece and um, that as that character was um, discovering what it's like to be a man when no one taught you how and that was probably I kind of oscillate between non-binary and trans man uh, vibes and that was much more my trans man vibe when I really do strongly feel as a man and I strongly have a gender and like want to embody it Um, whereas a lot of days I'm like I feel nothing or I want to just fuck it all up. Um, And his name is Hayden J. Aiden from Oliver Elliott, which is uh, all of the trans men names put together. And that was just discovering, it was said to what a man, and it was discovering the kind of things that you do when you're a trans man, when you are kind of desperately grasping or even just, you know, curious at certain markers of manhood. So like the first, uh, memory i have of thinking i might be trans when i was when i was holding a deodorant can and it was a male deodorant can and i really wanted the male one and i didn't know why i wanted the male one even though it's all stupid marketing and chemicals in a can but um so i made that a moment in the piece um and then i did an eight minute poem on stage uh about uh this is probably dealing with um how I've been obsessed with like acting and, and being famous for a really long time as a bit of a narcissist, and that's about that piece is about that I wanted to be the Ellen and the Elson of non-binary people, and TV is diversifying so fast that it might not happen for me, and I'm actually really upset about it, and I really I'm scared that my whole edge is that I'm non-binary, even though like my politics and my identities basically keeps me out of mainstream stand-up like i've done stuff at the comedy store no one liked it but like at the same time i'm worried about them becoming too mainstream that i have no edge (laughs) it's a real issue in my life
1: i I had a conversation with a friend the other day and we were talking about the half-life of change in 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 our society and things seem to be changing at such a quick, rapid rate, and and I think now more than ever we're we're in some sort of pressure cooker where we can feel the steam and the shaking and the rumbling all around us, but no one quite knows what's going to come out of the pot. Um, so I I totally get where your uh, where your fears come from.
0: Yeah, that though, but also with revolution, like like you know what I mean? Like I don't know if you're in this vibe, but like all my friends, just as a random tangent. We all believe that something is coming, either the collapse mm. of capitalism just by itself or a revolution as well, maybe fascist state uprising. who knows? Mm. It's really difficult to plan for having like a property in the future <laughs> when you don't know what the future is. Like I want children, and that is the only thing that I know that I want out of all of my future. I'd like to be I'd like a Netflix special, that would be sick, but mostly <laughs> kids. and I don't know if I'm gonna be raising them in like a commune or like... Um, a boarded up, like, abandoned factory while we're hiding from, like, roads of scavengers. I don't know what the fuck is going on. So when you have, like, an anxiety that's, like, uh, obsessed with the future and you don't know what the future is because of your politics and also because you un- uh, just read the news. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, boy.
1: <laughs> you mentioned it's the just earlier. Clear, right?
0: It's liberating. There's no answers. <laughs>
1: Mentioned earlier that your your dad is a therapist. Having someone like that in your life has that um, coloured your opinion or perception of or how you come to mental health and understanding mental health.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, at first, from an outsider perspective, I had a really lovely childhood, a fairly functional family, and so I only knew of people being in that kind of pain um, or mental anguish or having things like PTSD through my father's work and something that was good for me to have an awareness of other where other people were at because I always really cherished my happiness I was always really thankful for it um and I was always aware of kind of how lucky I was not only in terms of my like material privileges but also in my uh emotional environment was quite positive um And I also just learned so much about mental health and how people work. And my dad's a particularly what's called a systemic therapist. So he looks at how basically, in very simple terms, I have anxiety. My mother has anxiety. My uh, grandma has anxiety. I have anger. I have a parent with anger. And I have a grandparent with anger. And it's not to say that it's like you always be a parent, but it's basically like, your upbringing in your environment um, is what you react to. And if it's unhealthy, you will react usually in one of two ways, in that you'll withdraw and um, uh, try and adapt to it and accept it, or you will um, uh, reject it completely and act out and not have many skills to be okay. But I always knew that kind of stuff. I always knew how families impacted my friends. So, like, if my friends had emotional problems, I was like, that's probably a horrible mother kind of thing. But then when I became mentally ill, it actually made me really hesitant to admit that I was mentally ill because, and for a year or so of being really heavily depressed um, and in, in, like experiencing like trauma uh, from an assault and like grief from my friend Elliot dying. Um, I still I could not accept that I was mentally ill because I was like, no, that's the, no, I didn't, I thought I didn't stigmatize it in my head, but I guess from my dad being the one that fixed these people i had s- sort of absorbed that it was something that you were broken
1: what did you see as evidence of your own struggle
0: i was like crying every day <laughs> like i have kind of the run of mild, run of the mill depression now where it comes it goes and we see how we go because it's really settled into my body which is really lovely of it but back then like 2016 everyone had a bad year but so did i had a personally very bad year my friend died and my grandpa died in within two weeks of each other and i was like i'm not depressed i was like crying on public transport at all times i was scared to go home uh alone because i didn't want to be home by myself with my own thoughts and stay up all night uh i thought about suicide all the fucking time every time i like, just different ways that I could do it. And I, I just, yeah, couldn't accept it within myself for a while until mm. I had several doctors tell me to get help. Well, therapists always been pretty helpful for me because I guess I've been have, had a dad having therapeutic conversations with me since I was little. I'm now pretty go, – got a pretty good um, understanding of what therapy works for me and what therapy doesn't. Mm. And at that time, I didn't have the greatest therapist. She was okay. She – uh, I think the first initial, like just talking to someone about it and just getting validated that I was not okay. Um, and dealing with the crisis part of it, that was very helpful, but you have like, when you go to, th- a lot of people go to therapy during crisis and they don't go to go, they don't go to therapy when they are kind of a bit well, but still have problems to work on and crisis, you need to go to therapy if you need that, because that's avoiding you know, a really bad thing from happening, whether you cut or kill yourself or have substance abuse problems, whatever. So that's really kind of taping up the dam almost from collapsing. But in order to do the actual like long-term repairs, um, you have to go back when you're okay a lot of the time, or like a lot of people do. And when I was still going to this therapist, she wasn't great. She uh, had some, she wasn't particularly well-versed in um, kind of, queer issues as much as I needed her to be Um, and that's something that a lot of queer people have to deal with.
1: At that time I'm interested you know through through our conversation today you, you tend to continually find something funny or something satirical and no matter how kind of heinous you think something is was comedy or performance coming to you at that time as a as a mode of expression or a way of dealing with it or escaping from it?
0: Um, I didn't have as many friends as I did. So I think that was probably why it was such a terrible time. And, like, I've had many a bunch of shit times since then. But they have all been funnier shit times, for sure. I think the first round of it was pretty bad. Um, there was uh, – so, I mean, there was there was some things, right? Like, my friend Elliot was a comedian as well. His name's Elliot Miller. And he, uh, he nearly died on February 29th. And if, if he died in the early hours of the 1st of March. And that was pretty funny because we all thought that he was going to fuck us over and die so that his anniversary was on a leap year. And <laughs> that was really funny. Like, things are really funny. Gallows humor is always the best. Um, but I was, like, I was a shell of a human then, so I don't think I was laughing much. But in all the time since then, like, since that horrible 2016 year, absolutely. All I do, like, I, I don't know, it just... The number of times I've been, like, crying and then uh, I will, like, will make it, uh, like, the, the tears turn into laugh tears. And I love that, like, ugly cry laugh vibe. It's It just makes everything okay because the thing is, like, things are always going to be shit. There are always going to be some horrible things that happen. I, I constantly find myself, like, being, like, if I just have two months without shit going wrong, then maybe I won't be depressed anymore. But it just doesn't happen. There's no way for that to happen. And especially in our world right now, I think it's going to get more and more heinous as it goes along. So we got to find the comedy. I think like Joan Rivers has said, a bunch of people said, you can't laugh about this shit then. Like you are entirely bound to feel as bad as the world and your life is.
1: What's it like to deliver these personal stories on stage as a joke and then have people laugh with you?
0: that's really satisfying. It's like my favorite thing. I have a lot of people ask that question from a place of like, I could never do it. And I'm like, yeah, because you're an introvert, bitch. I really like being on stage. I have always wanted a bit of attention on me in a room. I've learned to try and not dominate spaces. Before, but stand up is something where like, I get to demand that everyone in the room watch me and all my other forms of performance. And especially in terms of queer performance there is something so satisfying in the fact that like your success on that stage is not just your success it is also their success because if you go up and make um, a bunch of funny jokes about being an arrogant trans person um, that it not only aff- like affirms a trans person in the audience it t- it tells that trans person your life is as, is is as important and funny enough to be on stage and as we know media is dominated by You know white men white thin women um Mm. so when you give like art that's like nah this is worthy of being art it's like it's it's like it's kind of a like a this disgusting loop of happiness and like and like man it's like i can't when people come up to me and say nice shit afterwards i can't like i just beam it's so nice i really i get really nervous before i get up on stage um Which is good, because I know that when I'm a little bit nervous that I usually am going to kill it, And I've probably only done badly, like, a a handful of times. I'm not as much of a gigger as other people. Like, a lot of people, like, there's comedians around Sydney who are doing every single night. I don't do that. I like to do stand-up when I want to do it and on my own terms, because I am non-binary. And I have all these other, and I don't want to be at a stand-up night where I'm hearing jokes about domestic violence, which is really disgustingly common. So I stick to mostly my spaces and it's just awesome. It is so awesome. I've been a drug addict and it is better than my highs when <laughs> I was a drug addict and it makes you feel a lot less worse afterwards. It makes you feel really good afterwards.
1: You were you mentioned in there that you um you you can tend tend to dominate a room and earlier you kind of talked about the narcissism of of performance and and the work you do but you've also been part of a a a creative comedy trio called the Dumpster Divas. Yeah. Performed it. You you guys have performed a number of different shows. I think last year you did uh, a show at the Mardi Gras. That's right. So how do you work then? How do you take a lot of your own large, loud, personal energy? And how does that work when you when you're with two other creative beings?
0: Um well with those particular two creative beings really well. Um I think I like to joke about like being a narcissist. i think i have i do have elements of thinking that i'm better than other people but they i keep them in check right and then i also can be so in awe and often am so in awe of other comedians particularly queer comedians or marginalized comedians um and am totally like humbled by how amazing they are and i'm uh, better when i work with them so uh dumb is made up of danny uh daniela paradiso who's also a performance artist who i who, <laughs> If you're saying I've got a big performer, a big personality, like doesn't hold a candle to Danny. Like Danny does not need any help in me not dominating <laughs> the room. Um, she is like I met her while she was like crying, laughing on a dance floor, and it's been kind of that vibe ever since. Um, and uh, so, and uh, Rory, who I'm still working with, who I'm now writing the play with that I mentioned before. Um, is got a bit of a quieter personality, but, like, is so – I don't know. I just love these people. Like, he's so profoundly philosoph- philosophical that I – and he says things that I've never heard anyone else say. So, like, I don't have to try and keep myself in check with people that amaze me, I think, and – uh, they're all like she's a, a visual artist and a performance artist. Um, he's primarily like a writer and uh, like a researcher of like queer history. He's a queer, star, a queer historian, mm. and then I have mostly my stand-up background. So it all comes together in different ways, and we can all mm. um, like bring different strengths to it, which is what I learned. Like we all met in Queer review really,
1: as well, which I directed
0: uh, a little while ago, and that's what you
1: learn. Good cool um, um you also did that something that was released earlier a few months ago this year was uh, a bisexual cooking show called what's your flavor <laughs> yeah
0: it's kind of a
1: mix between master chef and big brother Yeah. Uh, now so how does how does create because you, you your role and you were, you played the host you played the gretel colleen type character yeah. um with a bit more style of course Oh, thank
0: you! <laughs> I got a lot of compliments on those suits.
1: <laughs> yeah, the power suit is, it was, it was a different look from most of your other uh, imagery. Um, oh, thank you. How's the difference? So, so a, lot of, a lot of the work you do performance-wise is live, it's stand-up, it's, it's, it's work with, with a trio on a stage. How did, how did you find the creative process of doing something that was filmed and, you know, your role was to come in and, and do, you know, little snippets and, and kind of keep the, keep the thread going? Did you find many differences in how you responded as a as an artist in that in that different creative environment?
0: Oh my gosh, absolutely. It was so completely different. I was not prepared for how different it was. Uh, I was so grateful to have been picked um and it was a really great challenge and I'm happy with how it ended up. but my god, I trying to I have so much respect for reality TV hosts now, like Sophie Monk and that because you are saying kind of bullshit that you're trying to make sound really interesting and like i do i really like the show i I absolutely love the show but like saying like um like five flavors are in the house but who will get dessert is like really i sounded like i was taking a piss i was like really stressed about it i I I thought
1: you were i thought that was a totally was well, well, like, Does it away. sound like I was taking the piss? Oh, no. Well, it sounded that's funny. Pissed. I laughed.
0: Well, I wanted to... I mean, I try, uh, Dad said that I was, like, n- natural and, like, yeah. charming. And I was like, that's a pretty good outcome. I was really happy with that. Uh, but, I, th- um, I thought
1: that was your role was meant to be kind of... It was a bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We're all in on the joke here. I don't know. I thought <laughs> I you were bringing this in on the, the joke.
0: I mean, yeah. I think they they wanted a comedian. So hopefully I gave them what they wanted. But, um, and like, you know, it was a student production. It was, it was really fascinating to see all these like really hardworking students and things that go into it, like sound and, and um, like just sliding and set. Uh, it was really very educational. Uh, but I do, I would have to work a lot harder, I think, to be really comfortable on film. Um, and cause I'm just, yeah, I'm really used to live performance. I really need the, the, the feedback of the audience and, trying to riff jokes in front of a room full of people where people aren't really allowed to laugh um is and like everyone's focusing on doing their own crew job it's it's a different skill entirely and it takes it it i felt like i was a little bit back in like year seven drama where i was like i i know that i could do this well like but i'm really nervous and like stressed and it was it was great for me to do that but my god it was so weird i don't understand how fucking even acting on screen like every time i look at movies now after that experience i'm like (laughs) people were looking at you while you did that and like sex scenes i don't get it i don't it's that i
1: have so much respect to these people you've got i think when you're working with people right you've got to you've got to come some of the way hope they come some of the some of the way you know yeah Gotta be careful about how much space you fill.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and I didn't wanna like, cause I was kinda just there for the story to go along. Um, but yeah, and like, it's another thing is like, everyone's talking about live performing right now because, like like online. And it's I did a live stream, it was really great, I was really proud of it, uh, the first week of the lockdown. Mm. But I don't like the lack of feedback. I really like getting feedback. Like, the reason I moved from acting to comedy Uh, There's a few reasons, but largely is because the instant feedback, whereas you can do a play for two hours and it's a drama play and you don't know if people are captivated or if they are falling asleep. But comedy, you know if you did well or you didn't as soon as you make the joke. And I think as a person with anxiety, it's uh, very affirming.
1: So how do you, with with that in mind, during these times, how do you, you know, practice good mental health, look after yourself, to get that level of, of affirmation that you kind of get through the, through your work when when you kind of can't perform in the way that you would love to what, mm. what what keeps you going at
0: the moment i'm focusing a lot on writing uh i really like writing and i don't do it em- enough for when i'm when life is not locked down so i'm um, writing a play with my friend i've been writing some satirical articles and um like just working on a couple stand-up bits that i hadn't finished
1: um what's your what's your writing practice like are you uh do you work in fixed times in a fixed place or you tend to work a little bit a bit more fluidly and do you wait for the inspiration to come to you what's your practice like
0: yeah usually waits for inspiration and usually um super conveniently that comes at 3 a.m so (laughs) i tend to not go to bed to like i'm a night owl anyways but like i will usually like that's actually when I watch really good TV. Then I watch really good queer TV. That's usually when I get the inspiration because then I'm like, oh, because I did a film course, so I like TV writing. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna write ideas for my TV show right now, and I need to write it down. And it's like, um, and then well, like journal at the end of the night, and then that'll turn into like a short story or something. So well, usually it's like till seven AM with a lot of cigarettes, and then I come downstairs, and my housemates or my mom are like, what have you done? And I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> I created. Cool. But it's kind of nice I, didn't, I realized that i didn't need as as the constant live validation i've had some comedian friends really suffer without the like constant live validation um i think i'm pretty funny in conversation so maybe i get enough of it from now <laughs> i really like that you like politely have to laugh at my jokes so that's like super <laughs>
1: funny the actor and the comedian kevin Pollock says if you're not creating you're waiting is there anything you're waiting on at the moment
0: Um, for performance i'm waiting to be able to get this play up and running which i'm really excited about so check out look out for dumpster divas in terms of life i'm waiting for the revolution baby
1: (laughs) salem i end each podcast with a series of quick hit questions do you mind if i put you on the spot
0: uh yes
1: yes okay you do mind there's a
0: no no you can do
1: it (laughs) Sorry, that's I, I promised you no dad jokes before we started recording, and I think that could probably be classified, right?
0: Uh dad jokes are male privilege, but yeah, I can
1: <laughs> Sorry, I'll I'll I will i have no way to I can edit it out in the edit, but you know.
0: <laughs> no, again, I want everyone just, to see what you done. That just
1: reaffirms male privilege, right? I just there's not <laughs> like now I've just got a shovel and I'm just digging. <laughs> I'm digging. Um, let me try and take my foot out of my mouth and and, and ask a question. <laughs> If you could have a walk-on song every time you entered a room, what would it be? Uh, like Skater Boy by Avril Levine. What's one thing you're certain about?
0: I, I think Therefore I Am. It's probably the only thing I'm certain about. Um, and I wrote the other day, I think Therefore I Am Transgender. Because if I mm. think I am transgender, then I am transgender.
1: Cool. What's not negotiable for you? Don't date cops. <laughs> What's one thing you currently can't live without?
0: Um, reading and my all trans household, who I love. Uh, Saxon, Denica and Jordan.
1: Cool. And if you were to write an autobiography, what would you entitle it?
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, obviously, I have written a list of autobiography titles down because I'm obsessed with myself. Um, and the ones I can remember are Nearly Dead and Doing Ketamine in 2017.
1: Wow. Oh, that rhymes. Cool. I get it. I get it.
0: That's the idea.
1: Very good. Sorry. I'm, 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 mine is, if I was to have an autobiography, mine would be late to the party. <laughs> Not Now I would have to put that in <laughs> subtitle brackets and everything. Um, Salem, where can people go to find, to, to see some work you've done or learn a bit more about what you do?
0: Um, you can check out my Facebook page, um, which uh, just type in Salem Barrett Brown. And uh, also you can follow me on Instagram. I am Salem underscore gay with two Y's.
1: Cool. And that's where I post all my work. Awesome. Salim, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate you taking some time out and um, best of luck with what you're writing. I'll be interested to see how it turns out.
0: Mm, Thank you so much. Bless you. Bye.